the American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging word. But Satan uses the physical environment to try to get Jesus to question the trustworthiness of God's word. Same thing happened to Eve. He used a physical to get you to mistrust God's word. When we get to verse 5, he says it takes him up into the holy city to the pinnacle of the temple. And I, I don't believe, okay, I, I believe that Jesus wasn't physically teleported to the temple. As much as Ezekiel had a vision of the temple, but he wasn't teleported there. Um, I, this is my view. And the particular part of that pinnacle of the temple really means little wing. There's no little wing on the, the temple that we know of. So everybody argues over where this is at. I says, you're missing it. You're, you're missing his point. Okay? It's a high place. Then throw yourself off of it. Throw yourself off of here. Because now, now Satan quotes scripture. Okay? He actually quotes Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. And, and says, you know, if you throw yourself off here, God's promised to protect you and have his angels take care of you. He's, this is what he's saying. <clears throat> Since you're God's son, that obligates God to act a certain way. Test God's word by creating a situation that obligates God to act on his promise. Let me put it another way. If you'll sow your seed today, God has to. Oh, no, he don't. Let me read to you um, it, it's from a video of a person's sermon. And, and if you want to know who it is, you can ask Joel. I mean, ask me. If you're not looking for God's goodness, if you don't develop this attitude that today is my day, then even though God is longing to be good to you, He will back off and put His blessings on hold. Faith causes God to act. Your expectancy, believing that things are changing, saying, Lord, send your favor now, send healing, send restoration now, that's not just being positive, that's your faith being released. That's what causes the creator of the universe to go to work for your life. 
You caused the creator of the universe to do something. That's what Satan's trying to get Jesus to do here. You do this, then God will have to do that. Nothing obligates God to act. Nothing outside of himself causes God to act. The punishment of sinners. Well, see, your sin caused God to judge you. No, God's justice is what brought about your punishment as a sinner. God's acts, the things he does, the source of those is himself, his own very nature and character. All right? I think that's huge. I think we can get really caught in this. And I want you to think about that when it comes to prayer. We, for some reason, think prayer obligates God to do something. No, what it obligates you is to you to pray the will of God. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father which art in hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth, you've got to be praying the right thing to start with. Prayer does, transforms you, aligns you with, the God, with God's will, if you're really praying. Like, see, like there's no human act. That includes some religious rite, some religious act, a baptism, water baptism, communion. See, the Catholic Church believes when you do these things, God has to. No, he don't. That's why plenty of people have taken, been baptized and plenty of people have, have done communion and they weren't real believers to begin with. How about this one? Does repentance cause God to act? No. Because God's the one who grants the repentance. Well, if I repent, God, the Bible says him that he has to because I repented. The only reason you repent and believe is because God granted you that. He gave you that belief. Fasting and prayer doesn't cause God, cause God to act. Fasting and prayer is about changing you. Does obedience cause God to act? No. Is God moving right now in the world? Amen. Yes. Obedience just gets you in the stream of what he's doing. He doesn't start acting because you decide to obey the word of God. He is acting, moving human history, all things towards his end. And when you obedient, you jump in the river, the flow, I'll say it this way, of where he's going. He doesn't start flowing, if I use that analogy, when you start obeying. God's going to do what he's going to do, even without you, if I'll say it like that. I would suggest being God knowing all things, you're in the plan too, but okay. So the cause of God's action is his character, his nature, his sovereign will, and his eternal decree. All those still come. His eternal decree comes from who he is. And this is where Jesus responds back. He says, look, let's put God in a place where he has to do this. And, of course, Jesus responds back out of Deuteronomy 6 and 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Anybody know the context of that from Deuteronomy? We'll talk about that. Okay? To me, when you say that your faith, your obedience, your whatever, causes, obligates God to act, that's arrogance. It's pride. When I read that thing, that's what causes the creator of the universe. Wow, I can control the creator of the universe. That's pride and arrogance. And God resists the proud. 
So you can say all you want that your faith is causing God to do something. He's going to bless you. No, no, no. When you come with that attitude, God will resist you on it. And that's out of James 4. Then again, the devil took him up to a high mountain. Again, I was that literal God saying teleporting him around? I don't think so. Okay. He's showing him that in the spiritual sense. Showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, I will give you all these if you fall down and worship me. Here again, Satan quotes no scripture. He didn't in the first one. He didn't in this one. He doesn't quote scripture here. He quotes, first time he tempts Jesus' flesh with hunger. Second time he tempts Jesus or tests Jesus to put God to the test. Okay. This here, he doesn't beat around a bush. It's not subtle at all. Here's what I want. Here's what I want. I want you to bow down and worship me. That's what really what all this is about, is so you worship me. Okay? And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And I'm thinking Jesus is going, um, you, 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 you don't know what glory is. You don't know the glory I left. He, you don't even know the glory I'm coming into. Matter of fact, in John 17 and 5, he says, With, give me back the glory that you had from the beginning for me. He, he's, the glory of these kingdoms that you're supposedly tempting me with? <laughs> that ain't nothing. Neither is the kingdom, by the way, that you're tempting him with. And that's where Jesus says, be gone, Satan. Can you think of another time in Scripture where Jesus says something like that? Yeah, when Peter speaks against his destiny, the cross. No, no, no I'm not going to let you go die. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. Okay. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve out of Deuteronomy 6 and 13. I find it intriguing that this temptation to get Jesus to doubt that he was the Son continued until Jesus' last breath. There was a crowd watching Jesus on the cross. Oh, he said he was going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, save yourself. If you are the Son of God come down off the cross. Satan's still trying. He's still trying to get Jesus to doubt what God had said. At the moment, when all history's changing, B.C. to A.D., in front of him, he thinks he's winning. He doesn't know the end. And he's still wanting Jesus to doubt and uses a crowd to do it, to doubt what God had said. Well, you know, you could have these angels save you over here in the previous temptation. Yeah, and we know in Matthew 26, he could have called legions of angels. Yeah, he knew that already. I do find it interesting at the end of this, what happens is the angels come ministering to him. So um, they, were, they were already ready. They didn't need to have to, I didn't have to jump off a temple. For the, they're here. God's got them ready for me already to minister to me. We're really needs. Daniel chapter 7, 13 through 14. So he's tempting him about trying to get these angels to come. But the angels are there and he could have called legions. And he tempts him with the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Daniel 7, 13 through 14. And I kept looking in a night vision and behold with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. He came up to the ancient of days, that would be the Father, and was presented before him, and to him was given 
No, wait a minute. Watch what Satan's Timothy says. I would give you these dominions, these kingdoms, and all their glory. But to him, Jesus, was given future tense for Daniel, and a future tense, and if you want to say it from the time Christ is being tempted together. To him was given dominion, honor, and a kingdom. So that all peoples, nations, and languages might serve him. <laughs> what you're offering, Satan, is nothing compared to what God offers. Oh, let me say that to you the next time you're tempted. Whatever temptation is offering you is nothing well, like what God's offering you. Okay? And I'm not speaking eternally either. I'm just going to speak naturally in this world. Okay, the whatever pleasure you might get from giving in to a temptation, whatever comfort you might get from that is nothing compared to the comfort that the Holy Spirit gives you when you stood firm. The peace he gives you inside, even in that sense. All languages, all peoples, all nations. You, you, you don't get it. You don't get it, Satan. God's already got a plan for me bigger than the one you're offering. I wish Eve would have said that. And his dominion, this kingdom, is an everlasting kingdom. Not that temporal one you're trying to offer me, Satan. Which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will never be destroyed. Satan wants to get us so focused on the temporal. The, the natural stuff around us, okay? And our response to much of our temptation, that temptation could be anxiety and worry. As some of you may know, they're going to have to tear out the whole west side of my house. We've got water damage on the west side of my house. Insurance won't cover a bit of it. Just to dry it out, $22,000. Not, not that tearing it apart and rebuilding it. You know what? I can get anxious about natural things. But Kim and I looked at it and says, I wonder what God's doing. He's got something in store. Why? Because I can see there's something going on, and, and I know God's in charge of it all, and I know the natural really, really isn't the issue. There's something greater that God has in that. Satan, you can say what you want, but what you are trying to tempt me with is nothing compared to what Christ has done, is doing, and will do for me. Now, please don't put that in the Word of Faith movement that God's going to give you a new car and a new house, and you know what I'm saying? None of that. Okay. But there is things in the spiritual that outweigh anything in the natural. Now, I want you to take a moment. I want you, I want you to think of your life before Christ. Every pleasure you had in your sin, every good time, every party, every relationship, whatever it was, I want you to compare it to what you have in Christ now. Not in relationships, not in pleasure. I'm just saying you and Christ. <laughs> doesn't even come close. You know what I'm saying? My mind can't fathom how I really ever really enjoyed that. Because now if I go do it, I'm a miserable mess. Okay, but it, you ever do that? You ever wish this? I wish I came to Christ younger. Why? Because you realize all the stuff you did when you were You wouldn't have missed it at all. God has something greater in store. So when you're tempted with 
the guy that you're in love with and he's so wonderful. And he says, if you love me then, and a guy would never say that, would he? No, anyway, and you love me, trust me, just hang on, stand firm in Christ, because what God has for you, or the guy God has, is better than the one that's standing there sitting in front of you that Friday night, or with you Friday night. When you're driving through the car lot, because you're just looking, um, uh, for the 14th time, and, and, and there's that nice, new, shiny pickup, sports car, whatever it is you want, and you start pondering, you sit down, you get a pen and paper, and you're trying to figure out how you can afford that. Well, really, you can't. What you mean is how much you can borrow. Trust me, whatever you're going to get out of that car and going into debt, if you'll just trust God, what he's going to give you is way more than that. I have a friend, pastor here in town, okay? Um, when I hurt my back, had my surgeries... He wanted to have lunch with me, and he did. We did. And he, was tr- he just worked really hard trying to convince me, if I had enough faith, then God would. <laughs> I looked at him and said, dude, you have no clue. I says, the faith you're talking about ain't faith. What this journey God has taken me through, that's faith. The faith that I gained to trust in him in that time is nothing compared to that inner motivational thing you're talking about. Okay. What God has in store for me is way better than physical healing. But there are groups who make that, that's everything. I mean, if you want to, oh man, I went that quote I gave you, I, I looked at Victory Worship Center in this town, not our town, and in this place, in this town, the sermons by pastors, that, that this is really what it's all about. Is your relationship with God by Him wanting to bless you now? Oh, You're missing the point. So far off to trust. If I I read Corey Ten Boom, if I, oh, come on, who was the missionary in China? I'm going blank. Yeah, Hudson Taylor. We look and read those stories and go, wow, to see God move like, how do you think they did that? Because they were blessed? Because they were having their best life now? Because they were saying, I can have this now and I can have that now? Because they know the seven, the seven secrets to happiness or whatever it is. No, it was in that journey they learned who God was and really how to trust who God is. If you don't know who Corey Ten Boom was, she was put in a consecration camp in Nazi Germany. Okay, read the book. It's called The Hiding Place, right? Yeah. All right. I find it intriguing Jesus quotes from these two chapters in Deuteronomy. The Jews are getting ready to enter the promised land. Moses is ready to, getting ready to walk away and die. Getting ready to hand things off to Joshua. They've spent 40 years in the wilderness learning, being tested. Okay, They learned to trust God's word. Deuteronomy 8.5. This is where the first quote from Jesus comes from. And he humbled you and let you go hungry. And Jesus is hungry. And he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, in order that. To make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but everything that comes out of the mouth of God. 
He's getting ready to move them from this place to the place where he's told them it's all about. But before I can do that, I had to teach you this one. And we all know what happens when they get in the promised land and they don't trust God's word. And then you got the judges and everything else comes along the way. They learned they ought not to test God. It literally says that, okay, in 616. But wait a minute. Where did they learn that? When they were thirsty. And they complained to Moses. That's where Moses smites the rock and from that rock gives water. Jesus himself says, I'm that rock. Smitten to give the water of life. Okay. Here's what it says in the way they tested God. They said, is the Lord among us or not? Well, if we're thirsty, God really ain't here. Okay. I know when you look around at certain situations and you go, man, well, God, God's abandoned me. He's not here. This thing, this, God, God's up and left. I'm out, I'm out here on my own. Uh, don't test God like that. Because God will then put you in a situation. The only way you're getting water is if somebody hits a rock. Let me put it another way. He'll put you in a situation you cannot get yourself out of. He, he'll put you in a place where he find out you don't have anything but God. Okay? Don't test the Lord saying, well, man, if you were really out there, God, then I wouldn't be in. You would solve this problem then, and I wouldn't be laying here with, or that relationship wouldn't have broken, the business wouldn't again brought. Come on, it's one of the big arguments against the existence of God, suffering and evil. I hate to tell you, as Christians, as we suffer, that can cause us to wonder, where are you, God? Jesus in his flesh wondered the same thing. My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? What is he doing? He is quoting Scripture. Psalms 22. Okay, and it's one of those evidence that God's Scripture is true, by the way, of Psalms 22. Predicts the crucifixion hundreds of years before there is a crucifixion. That guys gamble over his clothes. Jesus felt like that, but in the middle of Psalms 20, but you did not abandon me. I know I look around and the bulls of Bashan surround me. They're gambling for my clothes. Everybody's mocking me. But I'm really not alone. Don't test the Lord God in that way. And they learned this. God is to be the exclusive object of our worship and our obedience. God is the exclusive object of our worship and obedience. Thus, when they tell you You can't meet as a church and worship. I'm sorry, I can't do that. Because Jesus' obedience to Him, to God, is what matters. Worship of Him is more important than not circumstances. God's Word. Do you trust God's Word or not? You know what? Sometimes when you trust God's Word, your brothers sell you to slave traders. Sometimes when you trust God... You work 14 years for the wife you wanted. Total. Sometimes when you... See, just because you trust God doesn't mean it's all going to go peachy keen. Sometimes it goes hard. But don't let those circumstances, don't let the things of the flesh around you say, God, I'm sure you really meant that. See, we're... Israel stumbled and fell, 
Christ stood firm. Each one of those statements comes right out of Israel's history of what? Of 40 years in the wilderness. And Jesus draws on that in his 40 days in the wilderness. Okay? But this is the big point, is Satan will always get you to to test, to doubt God's word. And Eve, it's did he say? It's how you interpret it. When it comes to Christ, Satan never argues that that's what God said. He says, is what God said true? That's what matters. Now I'm going to mess with you and I'll end with that. And God said, the sun stood still. Did it? Is the word of God true? That's what matters. We stand on God's word. That's where Eve's tested, that's where Christ tested, and that's where you, Gil, get tested. That's why they want to attack the very beginning of the book. A day does not mean a day. No, 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 no. They didn't really build an ark. That's just a metaphoric story to teach you. It starts all the way back in the beginning. Why? So when it comes to the point when he says, this is the Son of God, you can go, "Mm, that's just symbolic of something. He's not really the Son of God. And I'll end with, I said I won't, but I went with this. I was reading an article about why the Mormons pray for the dead. Yeah, they use the same thing. Their belief and faith causes God to move on the behalf of the dead. No, it doesn't. I just get in line with his word, and God's moving. God's already doing his thing. I'm going to trust the word of God. Let's stand. Father, I thank you for the word. I know at times, God, as we look at our situations, we wonder sometimes where you are. We wonder how your word applies here when it doesn't seem to work the way we think it's supposed to. But God, we can trust your word. Father, many in the past, under great persecution and suffering, trusted your word. Your challenge to Israel there in Deuteronomy 8 is when you get fat, rich, and happy, will you still trust my word? It's harder, God, when we're, when we're blessed, when things are good, to trust because we trust in other things. God, help us to trust you now in all things in your word. Whether good or bad, times we will trust your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This is Pastor Randy Reams, and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear this message in its entirety or other messages, just visit kindredbible.org forward slash media. And there you can also subscribe to the podcast. If you're being ministered to by this broadcast, I'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry. Giving is easy. Just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give. There you can make a one-time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter. But if you prefer, you can send your gift to KBC PO Box 32, Nampa, Idaho 83653. Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. 
Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.